will you have Keith to be your wedded husband, to live together in the covenant of marriage? Will you love him, comfort him, honor and keep him, in sickness and in health? And forsaking all others, be faithful to him as long as you both shall live. The rings, please. Oh, oh God! No! no. Oh, oh, my God! Oh, my God! Oh, my God! Oh, my God! Are you okay? Oh, my God! Okay, so I got a question. How do you make that right? You ruined her dress, you ruined her hair, you ruined her makeup. I mean, you totally jacked up the entire wedding. How do you recover from that kind of a stumble? Okay, that was not planned. Okay, we just pulled that right off of YouTube. Now, here's the deal with that thing. Some of you would go, it was just a mistake. That was not a mistake because you can go back and actually watch that with a little bit better definition on your computer. Here's the deal with the guy who trips and falls. He's actually flirting with the bridesmaid straight across from him. And that's why he trips because he's not watching where he's going. This weekend, I want to begin with the end in mind as we begin this new series called Stumble. The reality is we're all going to stumble. The book of Isaiah says even the most spiritually mature of us, even the most physically fit of us are all going to trip over ourselves at some point and we're going to hit the ground. We're going to stumble financially. We're going to stumble relationally. We're going to stumble spiritually. Some of you had a fight with your spouse on the way here. You've already stumbled maritally and it's barely noon. All right? We're going to stumble emotionally. And when that happens, we're going to cause damage to ourselves. And the reality is we might not just hurt ourselves. We actually end up hurting other people. When we stumble and we're going to, we've got choices. We can stay down and we can find somebody to blame. We can deny our own part in the stumble and just pick somebody to sue. Okay? Or we can make it right with God and his people. Humble ourselves and get back up. And so we're actually going to try and jump all the way to the end of where we hope to be about four or five weeks from now, because the reality is we're all going to stumble. Psalm 51, King David of Israel has stumbled morally. He committed adultery. He sinned against God, his entire family. He sinned against Bathsheba, the woman he was involved with. He sinned against Uriah. I mean, and then he got caught and David allowed himself to get tripped up. Let's make no mistake. He got tripped up by lust he got tripped by, uh, up by entitlement because he started thinking, I'm the king, I can do whatever I want to. He got tripped up by pride. He just got all full of himself. He thought he was above God's standard and he finds himself like so many of us in that moment when we're flat on our face, just trying to find somebody else to blame. And in the middle of that, David says these words from Psalm 51. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all of my iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin, for I know my transgressions and my sin is always right before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you're right in your verdict. You're justified when you judge me. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me, yet you desired faithfulness even in the womb. You taught me wisdom in the secret place. Cleanse me with hyssop, okay? Hyssop is just a medicinal plant, okay? 
Cleanse me and I'll be clean. Wash me and I'll be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you've crushed rejoice. Hide my face or your face from my sin. Blot out all of my iniquity. And then come the famous words. If you grew up in church, you probably heard this. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. So David has stumbled and now he's trying to make it right with God. And he teaches us right here in this passage a beautiful model for how we're supposed to make it right with God when we trip and fall. This is how you do it. You request mercy. That's how he starts. When you ask for mercy, you're choosing the path of humility. You're acknowledging that God has every right to judge you for the fact that you were not watching where you were going and you tripped and fell and landed on your face. You're acknowledging you've intentionally violated God's standard. And so you do what you, the only option you have, you cry out to God for mercy, something you don't deserve, and you hold in your heart the beautiful fact that that's exactly what God wants to give you. Then you take ownership. That's what David does. Listen to him take ownership. I know my transgressions. My sin is always before me. I love that he's so brutally honest here. No excuses, no minimizing. He says, I know exactly what I did wrong. I lusted. I planned. I justified it. I covered it. I minimized it. I tried to make it go away. And now I realize I have sinned against you. I've sinned against everybody else around here. God, I stumbled but I'm going to take ownership of it. I did it. And then he states reality. In verse 4, he says, Against you, you only have I sinned and done what's evil in your sight. You're right in your verdict and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. David begins to understand something here. Anytime you sin against someone that the Creator made, you're actually sinning against the Creator Himself. Now, we don't like that. We don't like that because it means this. It means when I let a reckless word crawl out of my mouth and I wound my wife or my children, this is my normal response. It's not that big of a deal. I just, I said a bad thing. I'm sorry. But the issue is this. I didn't just sin against them. I actually sinned against God because God has a command in scripture that says, don't let a reckless word come out of your mouth. And we don't like it when God involves himself in those little tiny trips and stumbles. I mean, here's the reality. And you guys are going to bust me all week for this. So I'm going to save you an email, okay? You don't like it when I say that God has something to do with your speeding ticket. It's like, that doesn't have any issue. God's not. I was just just going 10 over, no big deal. Granted, you're going to drag God into that? Are you serious? Lighten up. But that's really not the reality that David's dealing with here, right? He's just saying it straight up. God, anytime I sin, I've actually sinned against you, whether I want to minimize it or not. David states reality. This was more than a physical act with Bathsheba. This was a willful decision to disregard God's standard. And in disregarding his standard, I sinned against him. And David closes the little last little part of his song by telling God this, I desire restoration. He says this. Did anybody else sing this in Sunday school when you were a little kid? Create in me a clean heart. Remember that song? Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Don't kick me out of your presence or take away your Holy Spirit. Restore to me. God, give me back the joy of your salvation and then help me 
to sustain this. He's really saying, God, gather up the broken pieces. Help me get back up again. I fell down and now I need your help. David teaches us how to make it right with God. Here's my question for the series. How do you make it right when you trip and fall and your stumble affects other people? In December, I preached a message on forgiveness based on the words of Scripture that said, forgive as the Lord forgave you. It was called dealing with the bitterness, okay? A couple of days after that, I got a letter from a young college guy in our church, and I really appreciated his honest feedback. He said, Grant, you teach a lot on forgiveness, but it always seems to come from the position where we are the offended, and we're supposed to give forgiveness. What about when you're the offender? What does the Bible have to say about forgiveness when you're the one who needs to ask for it? So I started doing, I mean, I have every message I've ever preached here at Christ the King. So I went back through my files and guess what I found out? I have never talked about this from that angle before, ever. So I'm thankful this guy pointed this out to me. And let me restate his question. What does the Bible have to say about forgiveness when you're the one requesting forgiveness? That's a great question. Let's go to the Bible and find out. Okay, open your Bible or your app or grab your outline. Matthew chapter 5, starting at verse 23, Okay. Matthew chapter 5, therefore, if you're offering your gift at the altar and there remember your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar, first go and be reconciled to them, and then come and offer your gift. Settle matters quickly with your adversary who's taking you to court. I want you to notice something about the context here. He's talking in the context of worship. So this is so applicable to what we're going to be doing today because we're right in the middle of this opportunity. And this is what Jesus is saying. Before you, you walk in the door, before you grab your first cup of coffee, before you put on your nice Christian face that says, I'm fine, everything's perfect in my world, before you raise your hands and worship God, before you sing the first song, pray the first prayer, learn the first truth, or give the first gift, before that happens, if you suddenly realize that you've got something in the way relationally with a brother or sister, you're supposed to do this. Stop. Wow. Wow. Stop. Don't pass go. Don't collect $200. Don't do anything before you go and deal with what stopped you. Because what the Holy Spirit is saying is you stumbled, you tripped and fell, and it affected some other folks. And before you come back and worship God, you need to go and make sure that that gets taken care of. This is about as practical as you can get from Scripture. And this is Jesus teaching us here how to make it right with the person. And this is what he says. Okay, here's the first blank in your outline. Stop and take stock. Just stop. Ask yourself difficult questions. Are there people that I've wounded when I stumbled in my own sin? Has anyone been hurt by the sin that I committed? Have I offended anyone with the fallout from my own disobedience? Now, be very careful because every one of us jumps to a default mode, which is kind of like, let me think about it for a second. Doop, doop, doop. No, we're good. Let's move on. Let's move on. No, let's just stop for a second. Are you sure that there's nobody? Because I'm going to tell you something. If you're married, I don't think so. If you're a parent, I don't think so. If you work with other human beings, 
I don't think so. If you have a pulse and are taking respirations right now, I don't think so. But we minimize this right away. Man, we just want just let's just downplay it. No, 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 we're good, we're good, we're good. When I uh, took Braden and my daughter to J.H. Ranch, one of the assignments they gave us one morning struck fear into the hearts of all of the fathers who were there because our work that day was to go to our child and ask this question. Have I ever wounded you? Give that a try sometime, mom or dad. Have I ever wounded you? Now I'm assuming that the answer is going to be, of course not, daddy. Our world is perfect. Thank you so much for everything. You know? You know what I found out? I actually found out that there were things that I had done that wounded the hearts of my kids. Didn't want to admit it, didn't want to own it, but it was right there in front of me. So before we just dismiss all of this, we're going to do something right now, okay? We're actually going to pray and ask God to give us the courage to not minimize or dismiss what He wants to do in our hearts this morning. Okay, would you bow your head and close your eyes with me right now? Just a moment, very short prayer. Father God, whatever it is that you would have us deal with, whoever it is that you would have us go to, Lord, whatever obedience you are asking for today, we declare before you as a church that you have our full and undivided attention and we will not dismiss or default on anything you place in the deepest part of our soul. We are here and we are listening. In Jesus' name, amen. How do I know if... uh, if there are people, let me give you a clue. The clue is avoidance, okay? If there's people that you avoid or that are purposefully avoiding you, it's probably because of some damage that hit them when you stumbled. If people look the other way, cross the street, if they unfriended you and just dropped out of your life, there's probably a reason for it. And you may have some work to do in this area. Here's another caution as you take stock and make a mental note. There is something inside of you as a human being that you share with me. And that is a natural tendency to want to minimize the damage we've caused. Okay? So as we begin to talk through this, if you find yourself saying, what's the big deal? Why can't everybody just let this go? I mean, I'm already over it. I mean, I know I made a mistake, but what's the big deal? I don't understand. If you hear yourself saying that, you're minimizing. I got to help a friend lately who gave me permission to share his stumble, and I appreciate his courage. He stumbled morally. His wife had caught him surfing pornography on the family computer. When I had a chance to sit down with him, he was still in the phase of, I just don't understand what the big deal is. It was just a picture. It's just not that big of a deal. Because we have a relationship that goes back several years. I said, would would it be okay if I weighed in on this one a little bit? Would, would you give me permission to speak into your life a little bit? He gave me permission and I said, so here's what happened. It is a big deal. You sinned against God because you made a covenant with God to be faithful to your wife and you just committed adultery in your mind and with your body. You sinned against your wife because you went outside of the relationship to get a need met and you replaced God's gift to you 
with a cheap image substitute. I said, you sinned against the person whose image you were watching, even though she was also sinning. You sinned against her because she's one of God's children. She's got the thumbprint of God on her soul, and you forgot something else. That girl is somebody else's daughter. I said, you sinned against yourself because I heard you say that you made a covenant with God like Job to not look at a woman lustfully. You made a covenant with your eyes and you violated your own code. I said, you sinned against your children because you brought that sin into your own house. I mean, I kept going down the list. Finally, he just said, stop. I said, does that still sound like no big deal to you? And he said something that I've heard come out of my mouth before. Well, if you put it that way, don't minimize it. Own it. Before you can correct the damage you've done, you've got to be honest about the hurts that you've created. Well, what do you do then? Jesus says, stop and take stock. That's pretty practical. And secondly, he says, I want you to drop everything and deal with the hurt that you've created. Let me give you some biblical suggestions on how to go about this, because the reality is none of us are very good at this, okay? How do you deal with the hurts you've created? Number one, do it face-to-face. Don't text it, don't email it, don't fax it. I mean, think about it this way. The sin that you're talking about was worth Jesus dying over. To me, that would warrant a face-to-face conversation. You agree with me? I mean, it would seem to be that big of a deal. When you send stuff electronically, there's too much room for misinterpretation. And the devil just loves to stir stuff up. So go to the person and talk face to face. Some of you are biblical purists. It's like, you got, a, you got a verse for that, pastor? Yes, I do. Galatians chapter 2, verse 11. Paul and Peter are at odds with each other. One of them has gotten sideways, completely sideways. And the Bible says Paul went to Peter and he opposed him to his face. We have done way too good of a job as Christians hiding behind our keyboards. It's time we summoned some courage, stepped out from behind our computer monitor, and actually had had the joy of speaking to a brother or sister face-to-face so that there's no problem with misinterpretation. Do it face-to-face. Secondly, do it with sincerity. You need to be specific in your request for forgiveness. And we all know what it feels like when somebody comes and apologizes and and it goes like this. Well, I'm sorry you felt that way. What? It's like you you felt wrong and that's the only reason I'm actually doing this. That's not going to cut it because you know what that does? It just opens, it opens you up to this response. When somebody says, well, I'm sorry you felt that way. Just exactly what are you sorry for? Anybody been on the receiving end of one of those before? It's because you didn't take ownership. In fact, I'm... I'm going to say something really, really bold here. If you can't state it, you haven't owned it. In fact, I'm going to give you one more piece. This ought to get me some mail this week, maybe. We'll see how it goes, okay? I think the words, I'm sorry, are for cowards. I think it's a cop-out. Try this on for size. I was wrong. I was wrong to break your heart. I was wrong to break my promise. I was wrong to throw you under the bus. I was wrong to take credit for something that you did. I was wrong to lie to you. I was wrong to get angry with you. I was wrong to bring fear into our home. I was wrong to file share with you because that's actually stealing. Stealing. I was wrong to gossip about you. 
I was wrong, and I sincerely want to make it right. If you need a reason to be sincere, listen to Romans 12, 9. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil and cling to what's good. Thirdly, you need to do it with the right question. Here's the question. Will you forgive me? Will you forgive me? I would encourage you to ask the question and then stop talking. Okay, I can tell you how to do this because I've done it wrong, okay? Ask the question, will you forgive me and then stop talking? Because if you keep talking, you're going to start putting a bunch of caveats and excuses. And what you really want to do is to do it without excuses. Don't qualify the request. I mean, you've, been, you've probably all been on the receiving end of a qualified apology. It kind of goes like this. I'm sorry that you made me mad because if you had made me mad, I wouldn't have to apologize. And the only reason I'm here is because Grant said that God told me I had to. Doesn't that just ring in your heart, right? Oh, yes, I forgive you. No excuses, no caveats, no qualifiers. Just, I was wrong. Would you forgive me? And then it also needs to be done with realistic expectations of the response. And I want you to think about it. You go to somebody and you say, will you forgive me? One of three reactions are possible. Number one, they could say, wow, I had no idea there was even anything going on. Thanks for keeping short accounts with me. I appreciate that. But man, no harm, no foul in my world. This is great. We're good. That's a good response, right? Second possible response to will you forgive me is this beautiful phrase. I forgive you. It's covered under the blood of Christ. It's gone as far as the east is from the west. God didn't keep track of it, and I'm not going to keep track of it either. Thank you for caring enough about me to make it right. There's a third possible response, and this is the one that keeps 98% of the population from ever having the courage to do this. The possible response um, was illustrated for me. So when I was an upperclassman in college, I treated one particular freshman on on our college dormitory hallway with unbelievable contempt. I don't know why, I just didn't really like him. I pranked him, I did evil things to him, I made his life miserable. No other word for it. I just kind of dismissed it, I minimized it, I pushed it off to the side. When I went through 12 steps of spiritual journey here at Christ the King for the very first time, I got to step number nine, which says that we're to go and make amends for people that we've hurt as long as it doesn't do harm to them, that we're actually going to have the courage to go and do that. And so I, I tracked him down, then I went to try and find him, and I asked him for forgiveness, and he told me to go to hell. I'd hurt him so badly that he couldn't release me from my sin, but I still needed to do it. And you know why? Because Romans twelve eighteen says, as far as it depends on you, You live at peace with everyone. And I'll promise you something. Your face-to-face conversation may not have a really nice ending, but God will be honored by your obedience. He'll be honored by it. Listen to these words from Proverbs 6. I don't know why I've never seen these verses before. It speaks to this issue. Listen to these words. If you've been trapped by what you said, ensnared by the words of your mouth, then do this, my son. To free yourself. Since you've fallen into your neighbor's hands, go and humble yourself. Press your plea with your neighbor. 
Allow no sleep to your eyes, no slumber to your eyelids. My son, free yourself. God's saying, go. Trust me with the results. Don't worry about what the possible responses could be. You go and do what I've asked you to do. You go and be obedient and just see the work that I'm going to do in your world. Let me throw one more thing in here, okay? Here's a little piece of wisdom that I learned from doing this wrong, okay? If you've got something against somebody else and they have no clue about it, like not a clue at all, keep it to yourself. Just keep it to yourself. Take it to God and ask Him to do that work in your heart. But I mean, some of you in the room, you've been on the other end of one of these where somebody comes up and says, I need you to forgive me. I need you to forgive me because the bottom line, I've been hating your guts for a couple of decades. I think you're the biggest jerk that I've ever run into and I'm sick and tired of hauling this bitterness around so I just need to get over it. So I was wondering, would you forgive me for hating you? Like, what are you supposed to do with that? What are you supposed to do with that? Can I tell you what you're doing when you do that, when the other person is completely clueless? You're creating a wound so you can pour medicine on it. Just don't do it. Just don't do it. I had someone confront me once. They said, Grant, I need you to forgive me because a long time ago I thought you were a jerk because you didn't do something that I thought you should do, but you never knew that I expected you to do it. And so I went out and told a whole bunch of people that you were a jerk. And then I realized you're not nearly the biggest jerk as I thought you were. So I was just wondering if you'd forgive me. Like, what is the person supposed to do with that? Don't create a wound so you can pour medicine on it. Let me tell you how to do this right. A lady in our church a couple months ago asked for a few minutes after a service. She came forward for prayer, and then as she was getting ready to leave, she said, you know, I don't know how to do this, but here goes. I've held something against you in my heart for a long time, and I sinned because I told my whole small group that you disappointed me even though you didn't know that you had. And at that point, I'm thinking, oh, here we go again. But then she continued and said, you know what? I was wrong for holding that judgment. And in seeking God's forgiveness, I went back to every person that I sinned against by carrying that grudge against you. I talked to 17 people, and I went back to 17 people to make it right. And the only reason I'm telling you is in case it ever gets back to you. And I just wanted to make sure that as far as it depended on me, that I closed the whole loop. That's awesome. And courageous. So be wise as you begin to handle this stuff. But but Can we just make sure we don't ever create a wound in somebody so we can feel better by pouring medicine on it? Let's wrap this up. Do you notice the urgency in the passage? Jesus closes by saying, settle the matter quickly. He says, I want you to take care of it. Don't let it fester. Deal with it right now. Here's the reason why you need to deal with it right now. It's because you have no idea what tomorrow brings. You have no clue. Don't find yourself standing beside a graveside somewhere, your heart filled with regret because you should have gone to somebody and now you've lost your opportunity. Do it today. Do it right this second. God has impressed this piece of obedience on your heart. Don't let the sun set tonight without you doing what you need to do as far as it depends on you. And this is the reason why. 
God wants you to settle the matter so that you can worship freely. That's the last little blank there. Don't let your stumble get in the way of your worship. Go and take care of it and then come back and offer your gift of confession and contrition and worship. Go and do the right thing so you can come back and do the right thing. Now, some of us have this weird picture of God that even when we do the right thing, when we're on our way back, that somehow He's still angry. That's not what David teaches us in Psalm 51. In fact, David kind of brings his song to a close with these words. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. Oh God, you will not despise. So here's what God wants from Christ the King this weekend. He doesn't want our lip service. He wants our obedience. So all throughout this last 32 minutes, if God has been impressing something on you because you know there's something between you and another brother or sister or a parent or a sibling or whatever, as far as it depends on you, you're supposed to live at peace with everyone, which means this. Then I love the timing of this in our worship service. It means before you just jump back into worship or jump into the offering, or jump into whatever we're going to do to close the service off, the Bible says you need to stop. You need to go and deal with it. Leave your gift at the altar, and then come back and take care of it. So, this is going to drive my financial people absolutely crazy this week, but I don't care. You might already have your offering in your hand. If there's something between you and another brother or sister, you might need to hold on to that until you're done doing the work that God's asked you to do. We're going to worship in just a moment. We're going to sing. We're going to open our mouths and give glory to God. You might need to take that time and exchange that for a prayer and say, God, I need courage and boldness because there's no way I'm doing this on my own. Some of you are like, I can see by your expressions, it's like, is he telling us not to give? If there's something in between, the answer is yes. Is he telling us not to sing? If there's something between you and someone else, it's exactly what I'm saying. Come and leave your gift at the altar. Go and do what God has asked you to do. Forget about the response. And then come back so that there's nothing in between your heavenly Father and you. Look after this relationship so that this one is wide open. This is real practical because guess what we're going to do right now? We're going to give you an opportunity to give back to God your tithes and your offerings. 10 o'clock service, guy came up and he goes, this is weird. Handed me his envelope. Can you hold this for seven days? I can do that for you. Now, I don't want to hold everybody's envelope, so you just do what you got to do, you know, okay? Like, <laughs> you hold on to it yourself, all right? It's good, but. 
But I thought, how beautiful, how God must smile in heaven seeing that. Because he walked out of here with purpose. I don't know who he was going to go talk to, but he walked out of here with purpose. God will be honored by your obedience. So we're going to have kind of a moment here, all right? Because we are going to worship. Whether or not you participate or not, that's up to you. I hope you'll use this time to really check what God's doing in your heart. Okay, we've got about eight minutes left in the service, and we're going to devote it all to this. So here's what's going to happen. We're going to give back to God our tithes and our offerings. We're going to join our hearts and our, and our voices together in song, and we're going to praise God, one of my favorite worship songs. And we're going to do another one about the fact that God's with us, and we're going to need that presence in order to do this. But the ushers are going to start in the back. They're going to work their way towards the front. And when the offering passes you by, I'm going to ask you to stand and have a moment with God. If you can stand and open your mouth, thank God that He has dealt with you so graciously in your relational world that there's nothing in between you and Him. You should be singing louder than anybody. We're also going to give back to God tithes and offerings. If you're a guest, I need you to do me a favor like every week. When the offering passes to you, would you just please hand it to the next person? As a guest, your gift to us is the fact you came this week. I hope you'll come back and see us again real soon. I know some of you are like, are they always this blunt? Yes, we try to be. But the ushers are going to work towards the front. We're going to stand. We're going to sing. But before we open our mouth, before we give, let's take stock. Let's fix what needs to be fixed and let's settle the matter quickly so that we can worship God in spirit and in truth. God just wants us to be obedient. Here's an opportunity. You okay, 1145? You're real quiet right now. Let's allow this year to be the year when we are known for our obedience more than anything else. God bless you. Have a good week.